Welcome to Slash Report. I'm Prue, and I'm joined, as ever, by my, well, I'm going to call you my 2IC this week. What's up, MK? Thanks. <laughs> in charge. I know, but wouldn't I be your XO? Would you? Actually, you would be my science officer. Oh, well, I do have, uh, I made myself a name tag at work. It's part of a game we play in which you can win this name tag and win the title. Of, of what? King of the Lab? You Captain, don't even work in the lab. Captain Science. Are you serious? And you win it by having an impressive science fact. Can I, can I make up this science fact or does it have to actually be a fact? It has to actually be a fact. But, um, what, if, but what if I believe it's a fact? What if you can't disprove it? No, it has to be provable. It has to be, like, Googleable. Uh, I think I have a plan, then. All right. <laughs> All right, you're going to come to my office and win Captain Science? I think so. I'm going to Google on the internet, and then I'm going to come, and I'm going to steal <laughs> that name tag for all time. No, it has to be, like, some... Anyways, the point is, I lost it for, like, a week and a half, um, and then I won it back with facts about lagomorphs. What? Yeah, I want a fact about lagomorphs. Okay. Uh, an animal that would, like, count as a lagomorph would be a bunny. And you're like, oh, bunny's so cute. The reason they're called lagomorphs is because they are terrible at digesting food. Wait, is this going somewhere gross and poop-related? Yes. But it also relates back to video games in, like, a hilarious way. Right. It's a social science and a science fact. Uh, So, basically, uh, rabbits and other lagomorphs are so bad at digesting food that they eat it, and they don't get, you know, they get, like, maybe 15% of the nutrients out of it. So they shit it out, and then they eat their shit until, like, they, they just keep digesting it again and again until they've gotten as much nutrient out of it as they can, which is, like, the defining characteristic of a lagomorph. But in Final Fantasy VI, there is a move that you can learn once you get Setzer and the airship, uh, where you basically play a slot machine. And if you get good things, you get, like, a crazy attack or, like, some really good health benefits. But if you get, like, random combinations, you get something called lagomorph, in which bunnies appear, and then, like, everyone gets, like, 50 health. <laughs> get it? No. You Do you understand how insane that entire sequence of events just sounded no because it's full of science uh okay your captain science name tag is revoked from you from all time (laughs) you may you may go to work and carry on the charade that you deserve it but deep in your heart you'll know it's a lie we actually have to talk about the actual topic of this week's episode what is the actual topic of this week's episode okay the fandom that ate fandom stargated this the fandom that not only ate fandom, but then created an entire Harlequin collection about fandom. Yeah, uh, I don't even think that J2, like, J2 not is like, yes, yeah, it's just like an amateur level compared to what SGA did. Stargate Atlantis. Um, we've talked about wanting to do an episode on the show for a really long time. And when we were sort of chatting about how to actually approach this, we realized that the show itself is irrelevant to the fandom for the most part. <laughs> Sad but true. Just, we didn't need it, you know? Like, because the series was playing fast and loose with the same roles that SG1 always did, where you had mildly interesting characters, and every week they went to a different planet and there was, like, a dumb venture. And from what I can tell with the fandom, primarily what we actually wanted were bottle episodes like we wanted to know more about atlantis we wanted to know more about the actual characters which we almost never got i was gonna say that like never happened and it was always disappointing always every time but then it's sort of the question the question becomes why the hell did this fandom 
explode the way that it did. To give people some context, um, if you're listening to this and you were only tangentially aware of SGA, although I don't know how that could have happened, <laughs> if you were in Slash fandom at all. new to fandom. <laughs> or maybe you're very, if you're really new to fandom, that would be the only excuse, really. Um, SGA was, I don't even know how to explain it. It, it was so dominant for so long. It was like, you know, if you went on, you know how we have the pin popular page now? Yes. And it's like pretty dominated by Teen Wolf, but like you can still find like some like Welcome to Night Vale, some SPN, some like person of interest. If this were the SGA days, it would only be SGA. All SGA all the time. And not only just SGA, like only McKay Shepard. Only McKay Shepard. And if you wanted like some Lauren Parrish or something, you would have to go to a different website. Like, sorry, you're going to have to find a specialized archive. Exactly. And maybe even more than that, the thing that is really hard to imagine now, because I feel like fandom produces, if not at a slower pace, but at a much more fragmentary pace, um, because people's attentions are divided between so many different fandoms at this point. Like, do you remember the old days where it was, like, literally impossible to keep up with the fire hose of fanfic that was coming out of that, out of SGA on a daily basis? I was reading, like, 500,000 words of fanfiction a day and doing a full-time job, and I was like, I can't, I can't live like this. Like, I, I, I don't sleep. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, those were your bad choices. I think I was also doing university. Like, it was, like, a disaster. <laughs> That was, like, that was, like, dark fucking time. And, like, it, you know, it's not even, like, um, currently, if I really wanted to read 500 words of fanfic a day, I could definitely do it. 495 of those words would be awful. In SGA fandom, there was, like, a really good chance that you would find, like, 100,000 words of pretty good fanfic on any given day. There were so many good authors, and, like, you know, you'd be like, I don't know, I just want something, and you would find something, like, so new and startling and beautiful, and you'd just be like, I read this thing, and it's amazing. And someone else would be like, I don't have time for that, I found this other thing that is amazing. Yeah, and just, it was a fandom of huge productivity, um, and just the sheer number of people involved was staggering. Like, uh, one of the things, the first thing we really wanted to focus on was the fact that SGA is truly, like... The I feel like the biggest fandom that like exploded during the internet age, and yeah. probably the last one that will ever be that size. I saw a really interesting quote back when I was just getting into SGA, where someone was like, "I fully believe that SGA is the reason that we will discover extraterrestrial life, because aliens will contact us and be like, I need more fan fiction." <laughs> They were like, we found your archive. We read it all. We think we understand all life on Earth. Now give us more. Nice. Oh my god, that would be awful. If aliens, like, had to perceive life on Earth through SGA fanfic. It would just be, like, people being abused and crying in corners because of cats and then, like, dumb ventures where we offended all alien life. Yeah, and, like, everyone, like, they would think that lemon trees were poisonous to all people and, like, just burn them down. It would, it would not be great. They'd be like, we're doing you a favor. We're just getting rid of all citrus on the planet. I would cry for, like, a year. Yeah, me too. I, I love citrus. Though I had... You know what? SJ was so pervasive. This is, like, the stupidest thing. You're gonna laugh at me forever. Oh, no. The, the time you convinced yourself you had a lemon allergy? It's not like I convinced myself. I just forgot because I was so deep in it. Yeah. Like, I, I deep. went to put some lemon in something, and I was like, whoa, I am, a, like, I will die. And then I was like, no, because I'm not Rodney McKay. 
No, no, you are not Rodney McKay. <laughs> Thank God. You're you're like so SMRT right now. Yeah. 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 Baby, I was born this way. Hey, hey, you were. There's nothing we can do about it. So why SGA? Why did that blow the fuck up? I don't even like. What were the fandoms that were contemporary with it? Like around the same time or came a little bit before? Before SGA, I think the big um, internet fandoms were what House. Definitely Which is not even that big. No, uh, but at the time it felt pretty big. Yeah, Smallville was really pervasive. Yeah, weirdly. Um, what else? Like, maybe Do South? I don't even know. Do South, like, was pretty over at that point. It was pretty much a zombie fandom. Yeah, but it was still a big fandom. So, like, I, I was so curious about... Pardon? At that time I was, like, just pretty much back into anime fandom. Right. I was just, like, watching a lot of... Naruto. Well, who was it? I mean, I think you and I both like slogged through 256 episodes of that shit before we were like, no! What are we doing with our lives? We should only read eight years. And for those of you listening, yes, there are really like 200 plus episodes of Naruto. No, there's way more than that now. There's way more than that now. But I bailed, I think, at around like 240. Yeah, that seems like around when I bailed too. I was just like, I can't, I can't do this anymore. I think I, I, this is a total detraction from like what we were actually discussing, but I feel like at some point I was watching like an episode of Naruto and I realized I didn't recognize any of the characters anymore and that we were somewhere in sand country and Gara wasn't even there and I was like, what the fuck am I doing with my life? Why would I be in sand country without Gara? Yeah, I was like, I have to leave and like... Kids, this is like the dark days, right? Like this is this is not like when you can buy yourself a fucking like hundred dollar subscription to Crunchyroll and just like watch that shit like a civilized human. Oh no, oh no! This was like during the fucking era where you had to go find like a BitTorrent, the BitTorrent, the hard subbed BitTorrent link of something, or like go to Chinatown and buy the worst like Hong Kong DVD set you've ever seen in your life. Hilariously, that's sort of um, that is actually what I had to do to watch SGA. Are you, oh yeah, because you were abroad. I was. Um, SGA started, so I was still in Smallville. That was a fandom I was in before I transitioned transition to SGA. Like I wrote in house, but it wasn't my primary fandom. It was just like a thing I wrote occasionally. Breaking my heart. Um, and so I was at study abroad in Beijing, and in the middle of that. <laughs> in the middle of that SGA happened SGA happened and I remember this so vividly we had really restrictive internet because China um, and so I would go online like once a week and it, it felt like the early 90s again I would go online once a week and download as many fanfics as I could just so I could read them throughout the week uh, <laughs> and this was like not this is not cool right this is not like I was reading it on my phone and walking around Beijing. No, this is like back when I had like a 25 pound Dell laptop and no one had an iPhone. Not just that, this is pre-archive of our own. So you had to be all over the internet. Yeah, way, way, way pre all that shit. Like I would have to like, I would have something like 45 LJ windows open because there would be multi-part stories being posted and stuff like that. I fucking hate that shit. Agreed. And then I would sit there in my dorm room at night like hunched over my laptop reading it was just the antithesis of cool if you can imagine that um or more antithesis of cool than I am even now what's funny Um, is I didn't know any of that about you at the time and I just imagined you had like the coolest life 
I did. The funny part is, is that like, this is one of those things that I tell people a lot and I don't think anyone believes me. I do have the coolest life. You have a like on cool a life. purely objective level. Like I have like a super rad life. I do like a lot of really fun, interesting stuff. Like I travel a lot. I'm, you know, I'm so lucky to have like really great friends and everything. I'm still like a giant ball of like nerd failure. You like those things are not mutually exclusive. You can be a total fucking loser all the time, which is like a comfortable position for me to live in, but still be cool at the same time. I found, this is so off topic, but I found a post on BuzzFeed recently that was like, shit you thought you would have handled by now in your <laughs> 20s. It was like, you know, expectations of like what you would have by the end of your 20s and like what you really had. Right. And I think I actually had like a third of it down. And yeah. I was like, you know what? 33% of this list, that that's like a pass. I, yeah, I, I feel pretty good bad. about myself. That's not bad at all. Yeah. I'm myself on the fucking back here. Um, but anyways, so I was doing this and during one of my evenings and this is back when like you went to certain authors and you had like that you had the friends list to update you on fanfic um and I remember so vividly because one night I went online I logged on to LJ and Astolot had written a beautiful lifetime event oh no I had been seeing SGA stuff but I'd kind of just been skimming over it because I didn't know what it was like I had no access to new fandom material and you were like well babies Yes. I saw like babies and I was like, God, God damn it. <laughs> Going in. So then I had to go in. I had zero context for it. Like, can you even imagine reading that story? Like in case you guys haven't read it, it's about them finding like a machine that makes a baby in a jar. And I was just like, first of all, who are these assholes? Why are they on the lost city of Atlantis? How do you accidentally make baby in the jar? Why would you press these buttons? But it was too late. I was already hooked. And the thing is, when you think about it in the context of SGA, you're like, totally plausible. Completely makes sense. But prior to you buying into that, you're like, these guys are idiots. <laughs> Why would you put these dudes on, like, in space to meet aliens? Exactly. Worst representatives. Exactly. Well, I did, I did hear someone once summarize SGA as the show where, like, Stargate Atlantis accidentally saving the world since, uh, accidentally saving the universe since, like, 2001 or something like that. Awkward. <laughs> I know. But that was my first interaction with the fandom was basically through Pink, and I got so addicted. And as we have talked about, there was such a huge gush, like, volume, such a wealth of storytelling in that fandom that you really could never read all of it. Yeah, I like I still have not read everything in SGA fandom and I never will. Like there's no you still can't catch up. Sorry, you'll never do it. Yeah, exactly. It's like it's like the way people approach their Tumblr dashboards now only like times a million yeah. and with so much more original, interesting, creative content. And it's actually really impressive when you look back on it and you think that how many people like created amazing stuff for this fandom there was so much time put into that fandom like it's ridiculous like i unless you were there guys you don't know it was like a war of happiness yeah (laughs) just happiness and it's a thing that happens to you like you don't experience sga sga happens to you it comes and finds you in the middle of the night and attacks you in an alleyway and stuff's like 48 amazing AUs down your throat. When you wake up in the morning, you're like addicted, tapping on veins, looking for more shit. Yeah, there was nothing I would not do to get more. And SGA, I also feel, was particularly interesting as a fandom because it lent itself so well to alternate universes. 
Yeah, early alternate universes and just, like, the variety of alternate universes. Like, it wasn't just, like, all contemporary whatever. Yeah. You would have, like, like things that basically should have been giant fantasy novels or giant, like, their own sci-fi universes or, well, the Harlequin Project. Which, holy crap. The origin of the Harlequin thing in fandom is that... Gather around, children. Gather around Uh, for some internet history. Long ago, far away, in a magical land called Live Journal, before it was owned by Russia, um, there used to be something called Flashfic Communities, where basically, I think SJ Flashfic was owned by Sesperanza, who is a goddess for this. Yes. um, Where she set it up so that every week there was a particular topical prompt And the whole premise was you had five days or seven days or however long, and it didn't matter, like, if it was super polished, it didn't matter if it was really long, but the goal was just to write a story to that prompt and post it. So basically it was like mini Big Bangs every week on a given topic. And so many people actually participated, like so much fic came out of those challenges. I had trouble keeping up with just that calm. You had trouble keeping up with that, just that com, but then the Armageddon of that com, right? Like the one where we all like saw the face of Jesus they had the Harlequin wearing challenge. the Harlequin hat or whatever, was when they did the S- the Harlequin romance novel challenge, which was the one where they just would not stop receiving entries. There were so many people writing SG Harlequins that they were just like, "Fuck it, let's make a separate com for this too," and it was baller. It's like. And- so good. I think that calm became more popular than the SJ Flash fake calm. That is probably true. <laughs> <laughs> and you would just be like, oh, look, a blind date with mistaken identity. Oh, look, babies. Babies on a doorstep. Oh, look. <laughs> like One that I remember really specifically was the uh, Rodney is a billionaire who hires someone to help him find a girlfriend one. Oh, my God. I love that one. Is it the one where John, like, because there's a bunch of these. Are you thinking specifically of the one where John accidentally became also rich, like, giving out dating advice, even though he is the worst? Yes. And he's a single dad? Yes. Yeah. No, that story was amazing. There were just, that fandom is just, you throw a rock and you find a fabulous rom-com. Yeah, like, I don't even think you have to throw a rock, you just have to, like, blindly stick out a hand, and it's like, like, oh, there it is. (laughs) And I feel like so many people who got their start in SGA got so spoiled, you know? Like, you expect no fandom so prior to SGA had, had this level of productivity. And no fandom, I feel, after or ever, ever onward will. Because it was such a nexus of, like, every other fandom had basically bottomed out into this one. So you had everyone who was ever talented into anything in this fandom together for the first time. Like, it's like if you took all the people who are currently into Teen Wolf, um, hockey, and I don't even know what else is a big fan right now. And Avengers. Yeah. And all of them them weren't doing anything else. There were no other major fandoms at the time. They were all writing SGA 24 hours a day. It was so good for me. It was (laughs) lunatic. And I I love that particularly because we're so resistant to it in the beginning. Yeah, no, I did not want to watch that show. It's like, whatever, that looks stupid. It'll, it can never be the next generation. To be fair, I don't think it was ever trying to be. Uh, No, it wasn't. But I didn't know that before I started watching it. (laughs) Fair enough. Okay, so the thing for me is, Mm -hmm. um, everyone has heard like a kajillion times about the way that I stalked you into friendship with me. Yeah, which again, you should stop. (laughs) 
telling people that story. Well, it's never going to work again, so. That is true. Um, but at that time, I had a shitty retail job at, like, an office supply store. Okay. Uh, and I worked with this dude who gave me some of the best advice I've ever heard in my life, which is also, like, the worst advice uh, which was basically, like, always make sure that your bathtub is next to your toilet so that if you're really sick, you can just lean over and puke. I frankly think that that's probably better advice than people are willing to. Okay, continue. Right? No, agreed. Um, but I was, you know, super resistant to watching SGA because I really wanted you to write House. And eventually he was like, listen, SGA is amazing. I brought the first season with me today. You're taking it home today. And I was like, fine. I didn't have a shift for like another four days. All I did was watch SGA. Uh, then I downloaded the rest of it. And I think all I did for like four days was watch SGA and then furiously write fan fiction. Like, Good job. I don't even think I left my room. It has that effect on you, okay, guys? Like, it's dangerous. It might not be that dangerous to you anymore, but at the time, like, SGA was crack cocaine. Yes. And there is something, I will admit that there is something of particular charm to it. Like, there, I don't know whether it was, like, a Darth of other fanish things, or if maybe that show just had, like, the perfect marriage of science fiction, fantasy, and character elements to make it interesting. Like, so I did not have the option of buying, like, the first season in any legitimate context, right? Like, I started watching it, um, I would say, like, two-thirds of the way through the first season, and it was, there was literally no way I was going to be able to download the episodes on like the shitty tiny, like the Great Wall of China firewall that was in place in, um, at my university. So I had to troll like the back out, like this creepiest, shadiest fucking back alleys in Beijing <laughs> looking for bootleg DVDs of this. And when I finally found the season, it was only two thirds of the season because that's what it had run. And they were literally, video like really shitty like rm quality files that Oof. still had like the canada tv logo on the down on the, like the corner yes of the yeah the, uh, on the corner of the video file but i got like a bunch of my classmates into the shit too so having like given their first hit is free i basically had to go find like my favorite coffee shop like once a week sunday mornings i would take a bus out like an hour away from the university and i would go to like my favorite coffee shop that had good wi-fi and i would sit there have like an absurdly overpriced western breakfast and download sg over the course of 2 hours nice yeah, and we would all watch it together. And it was, it really was addictive. And that show is not good either. It's not good, but you know what? You have to give credit to Martin Giro, who wrote, like, I would say the best episodes of SGA. Um, and they weren't, like, the most cohesive episodes or the most well-written episodes, but he had, like, the emotional shit down. I wouldn't even say that he had the emotional shit down. I would say that he was really, really good at hitting the fans where they wanted the good hurt. Do you know what I mean? Like, he knew where the feels button was, and he was not afraid to abuse it. Like, okay, so he wrote, uh, I, I'm pretty sure, McKay and Mrs. Shepard, or not McKay, Mrs. Shepard, <laughs> that would be great. McKay and Mrs. Miller. Yes. Which is the first episode where we meet Rodney's sister, and it was just, like, like killing you. Yeah, but that was all, like, much later seasons that, you know, like, that was, like, season three and four. I have no excuse for why <laughs> season one was entertaining. No, look at that, like, the, the S.H.I.E.L.D. episode. It's, like, episode, well, two or three, depending on how you look at it. That's true. The S.H.I.E.L.D. episode is amazing, where Rodney finds the personal S.H.I.E.L.D. that looks like, like, a pocket-sized Ninja Turtle. Yeah. 
Um, it's just like, how can you not empathize with him in that moment when he's like, I'm too scared that my brain can't shut this shit off, which like means I might starve to death. Which, you know what? That show had glimmers of greatness. It could have been really good. And despite the fact that it wasn't, it had actors who were perfectly cast for their roles. I won't say that I am not like one of those people who has convinced themselves through like fanish crazy that David Hewlett is a brilliant actor. Like I'm never going to be that person. He was great as Rodney McKay. He's very, very entertaining. Um, he was perfectly cast for that role the same way that <laughs> the same way uh-huh. that Joe Flanagan with his like weird hair that they can't keep down even with like bare fat and shellac <laughs> perfectly cast for <laughs> Colonel Shepard. Not because he's a great actor at all. He's like a weird, nasal-sounding, <laughs> lackadaisical weirdo who probably just wants to smoke pot in the desert. And his complete lack of interest in doing stuff and achieving things was so perfectly married to the fundamental weirdness of that character. That's true. That it all worked out really well. You Like, if you guys but... ever have the opportunity to hear Marilyn's, like, rant about why John Shepard is, like, the greatest person ever, <laughs> you should definitely listen in. It's choice. I mean, like, if you have the means, I highly recommend it. Good, good. No, um, but I do think that you're, okay, I don't think that David Hewlett is an amazing actor, but I think you're probably not giving him quite enough credit, because, like, I watched Traitors when I was a little kid, like, way before SJ was even a thing, and... I was, like, 10 years old and, like, sobbing in front of the television. And my parents were like, what's wrong? And I was just like, Grant Chansky! Like, <laughs> I'll, I, I will give that to you. I saw a little bit of Traitors. Grant Chansky was lovely. <sighs> he broke my heart again oh, and again shit. and again. Do you know what that reminds me of? What? I think I actually wrote Traitors fanfic. No. I did. I wrote at least one Traitors fanfic because it was called Pink Sheets. And I don't know where it is anymore. I'm Googling it right now. <laughs> is pink sheets one word or two two uh oh oh what's this uh someone translated into french <laughs> spanish someone translated into spanish and you can download it on a really sketchy looking website that i'm now exiting for my own sake. it's too late you already have computer herpes um but yeah, there was something about that show. It was not seriously quality, but there were elements of that show that just, like, reached into your chest, seized you, and ran away with you. Did I ever and- tell you... <laughs> Sorry, I was, like, deep, like, in season three or something, or at the end of season three, like, deep in the throes of SGA. Right. Um, and my brother had come home for Christmas, and he was like, what are you doing? And I was like, watching SGA. And he was like, yeah, okay, I'll watch that with you. And I was like, uh, Okay. So we watched, like, half of season three before he was like, you need to stop. We're starting over at season one, like, right now. (laughs) Like, do you want custard tarts first? And I was like, I'm sorry, what? And all we did for Christmas break was watch SGA. Um, And it was really weird and really awkward because my family doesn't talk about feelings. And there were several times where I had to, like, cry. And he would just sit there and, like, pretend not to see me, even though we were next to each other on the couch. Oh, my God. And then somewhere near the end of, like, Finishing season three for the second time, he was like, wait a minute, Martin Giro, I think he was in my class. Oh my god. They took RTA together at Ryerson, like radio and television arts. Good. Right? And I was like, you asshole, what have you done? (laughs) It's not his fault. I blame him. For what? Uh, encouraging him. I don't, 
do we have any indication that your brother and Martin Giro were like besties or anything at all? It's hard to tell because we all have four names and everyone in university calls my brother by his other name because they don't know his real first name. Really? Yeah. No, this is one of those amazing things where like we were walking down the street and someone yelled out a name and all of us kept walking except my brother who turned around and was like, hey man, how's it going? And we were all like, what the shit is happening? That is weird. He just never bothered to correct them. Uh, okay. Yeah. I can't, I can't even imagine. Or he was, you know, reinforcing his spy identity. Uh, apparently. Anyways, even my brother was eaten by that fandom, and he's more of a robot than I am. That's true. So, danger. He's a pleasing robot, though. Yeah, he's a good robot. I enjoy him. He's, he's, he's one of my more favorite robots. Um, so then... Of course, then we're the worst. Okay, so... We don't know why it was so addictive. We do know that it was massive. We have to... Like, fandom. How how the fuck did that fandom happen? There's no reason for it. Like, other than... I mean, okay. I wasn't in Smallville, but that... Smallville should have been the huge fandom. Yes. Like, everyone watched fucking Smallville except me. And everyone was in it. Except, except that, you. Except me. Except that then when you, like, look at the numbers of people in SGA fandom and the number of people in Smallville fandom, you're like... I thought everyone was in Smallville fandom, but, like, that number at least doubled, maybe tripled. Yes, like, there were people hiding. Like, lurkers came out of the woodwork and were like, I'm gonna produce fanfiction and fan vids and, like, a Rex list now. And you were like, what? Yeah. I, it's completely... Baffling. Inexplicable. Genuinely inexplicable. No, there's no, it shouldn't have worked. So why did it? Uh, well, there's, okay, we can also talk about the fact that everyone way over-identified with Rodney glossing over his terrible personality traits and making him into, like, a weird caricature of himself that, you know, they could put all of their feelings onto. Yeah, which was, like, my biggest pet peeve about that fandom. Well, okay, so I don't think it's a stretch. You have to explain, I think you may have to explain this a little. Okay, so Rodney McKay... Uh, is an asshole and a brilliant scientist who has a lot of, like, he's not good at social skills. Like, those are his weakest. He doesn't care. He doesn't want to be your friend. He's going to say the worst thing possible at the worst time. He doesn't want to hold your baby. But it's, like, times a kajillion. Like, there's assholery to the nth degree. Combined with body image issues because he's, like, a little overweight and a super nerd. Well, at least in the beginning. I think he buffed out a lot during the course of the series. He buffed out quite a bit. For, like, the first two, two and a half seasons, he was pretty pudgy. Right. And I think people could identify with that. Like, none of us really want to work out. We're all super nerdy. And a lot of us feel incredibly socially awkward. And, like, maybe we're underappreciated because we're way smarter than that asshole sitting next to us. I I don't. I don't. I don't get that at all. But continue. (laughs) Okay, everyone but Prue, or a lot of people other than Prue, feel that way. And they could see this in Rodney, and they were like, oh my god, I'm going to put all of the problems that I have into some fanfiction about Rodney McKay. And how, like, no one understands what a gift he is. That's right, they don't appreciate him the way they should. (laughs) And some of it was great, and some of it was like, dude, (laughs) you need to take a step back and maybe get into therapy. Like, there's a problem here. The thing is, like, people who are good at executing on that topic did a really good job. Um, and there were a lot of really interesting stories that, like, perfectly balance that tightrope between his absurd arrogance, which makes him, like, a really toxic person to be around, and his vulnerability, because I think that a lot of 
the one part of him that I did get is that I think a lot of, especially girls, um, grew up having wrapped around them the armor of knowing, like, you know what? I don't know if I'm pretty. I don't know if other people like me, whatever. But I do know that I'm the smartest person in the room. And that's what I'm going to lean on. And he took that to an absurd extreme. So some people did a really lovely job of portraying that character. And then there were others who just like, you read that story and you were like, dude, you don't even like you're showing your ass and your feelings like at the same time. And like, you put your name on this and I'm like going to judge you until the end of time for this. Yes. Uh, I would say like, there was a full spectrum of crazy in Rodney McKay centric fan fiction. All, and all of it was Rodney McKay-centric fanfiction. Yeah, like, there's there's no not Rodney-centric fanfiction in that fandom. Like, I don't I don't care if your story is about Taylor, it's Rodney-centric at its heart. Uh, yes. I probably, the only people who didn't do that were, uh, oh man, I feel really bad about forgetting her name. But I, I think it's like Dominica um, M or something who wrote really, really good uh, Lorne and Shepard, like, military fic. Yeah. And LTLJ, who wrote amazing world-building, like, alien fic, and just really fabulous gen adventure fic. Yeah, that's true. I think Anna Girl actually really hated Rodney, and she wrote a lot of uh, Lorne Parrish and Jen, and a lot of, like, Taylor fic that was actually about Taylor, which was really impressive. But that was, like, the vast minority. Like, yeah. there was, like, a tiny, like, 2% sliver of people who did that. And then the, the rest of it was either McKay Shepard slash or, like, it's like the or square like, in the rectangle thing. Like, um, all of it was in the rectangle of McKay Shepard. Yes. But then there was, like, a square in there of just, like, Rodney crazy. Yes. Exacerbated by MK's favorite episode of all time and favorite launching point for fan work of all time. Grace Under Pressure. No, Trinity. I fucking hate Trinity. I know. How did you forget your strong feelings about Trinity? <laughs> I, I Actually, this is one of those Asperger's moments where I did not pick up on your sarcasm, and I thought you were really looking for my favorite episode of all time. Nice. Good job. <laughs> I'm really good at this. But Trinity, Trinity, in case you guys didn't watch this or weren't in this fandom, how do you, Trinity, okay, so. I hate it. To sort of, like, walk it back a bit, because we're talking a lot about, like, the behemoth of Slash that was McKay Shepard is the primary pairing in the show. I also and, like, hope that when we meet aliens, they think everyone is gay. Yes. But, okay, so, it's like, a two-minute rundown of the series. Rodney McKay, brilliant scientist, acerbic, toxic personality, too smart for his own good, um, is part of an expedition that's using ancient alien technology to travel to other universes. And they believe that they have found the lost city of Atlantis, which may be the homeland of the aliens that created this technology that lets them travel all around the universe through this giant hoop slash space vagina called the Stargate. Um, Somehow by accident and stupidity, uh, a air force Lieutenant Colonel, Wait, he wasn't, he was a major back then. He was a major. Um, an Air Force major He'd named John Shepard, who had gotten himself a black mark from going back into a, um, a hot zone to, like, save his colleagues or save his team in Afghanistan. He, he didn't actually succeed. 
um, gets involved in this as well. And they have like a very classic odd couple bantery, like picking on each other. Wouldn't expect them to be friends relationship. This turned into like the slash version of like a pack of raptors and it ate everyone's brain. But to fast forward in terms of this show and its exquisite gayness, like (laughs) I just, we haven't mentioned this, but this show was really fucking slashy. Like in, the most classic sense of the word slashy, right? Like it was, so slashy. It was oftentimes homoerotic to the absurd. And it had that latitude because it operated in the earlier incarnation of media where the default presumption was that there was no way that these two dudes were gay and that they never even considered what they were doing was gay. You know, like you can't really have a modern fandom with that implication anymore. Like these days, if you go to that extreme and you don't like address it or do something with it, it comes off as like homophobic. Yeah. Even back then it was kind of like, yeah, it's fine. Don't ask, don't tell us in place. Like John can talk a man into killing himself to save Rodney's life just for funsies. Oh my God. (laughs) That episode. And there's another episode where he like, murders like 27 dudes in order to save Rodney and nobody blinks? No, he kills 55 guys at the Stargate. 55 guys at the Stargate? No, but there's other dudes that he like, when he runs through oh, the base... Oh, just like kills them with his hands? Sure. With his hands, <laughs> his gun, and like a lot of C4. He's like, I'm just gonna blow up a bunch of dudes because Rodney's in danger. And yeah, I'm gonna just like murder everyone. Somebody gave him a paper cut on his arm, so... Yeah, and now I'm angry. That's just the John part of that, right? Like, then you can talk about the Rodney part of that. <laughs> Which is just, like, equally bad shit in different ways. Like, the fact that Rodney, like, it gets attacked by, like, an alien something so that his brain is deteriorating and as he gets less and less sane... It's like the the only person he remembers is John Shepard. And he, like, runs screaming through the halls of Atlantis late at night to John when his girlfriend is sitting next to him trying to provide him medical care. And his girlfriend is like... Where are you going? And he's like, who the fuck are you? Where's John? Where's John? I only meet John. <laughs> I hope you know that when you come to visit, we're rewatching that. Oh, no, obviously. But, like, it's it's just one of those things where, like, we see it now and we're just like, okay, this is ridiculous. Like, the only way that it happened was because there was this basic presumption that nothing was ever going to happen. Um yeah. But it didn't stop fandom. It just fed them in, like, more and more insane ways. There's not even, like, there are things that became tropes in SJ fandom. that are like, I'm not sure how it happened. It just, like, suddenly this was a thing. Like, alien rituals that either are always, like, you're going to have to fuck or die in order to, like, trade for some cabbages or whatever. Or, or, like, instantly you've been married. And, like, you come back to the planet and they're like, why aren't you with your husband? <laughs> and I was like, that never happened on the show, and yet huge in the fandom. Huge, because we just presume it was true. But all of this kind of goes back to us discussing one of my genuine favorite episodes. Because you're the and worst. And one of MK's least favorite episodes of all time, Trinity. Uh, this is the episode where Prue and I have disagreements on a moral issue that is whether or not Rodney committed mass genocide. I 1,000% think that he did, and I feel like the fact that they let him off the hook as easily as he, he, as easily as he was, and the fact that he was more upset about them being angry with him than what he had done, says hideous, ugly things about him as a human. I fully believe that he didn't kill anyone, he just blew up some rocks. 
And that the bigger issue is that there was a whole episode where some dude was, like, raping ladies and nobody cared. It was a humor episode. I cared. You cared. I cared about that a lot. But no one else cared. That is true. But, like, <laughs> but back to Trinity. That's, like, another episode we'll talk about in a little bit. But the setup for Trinity is... I actually think it's such an interesting episode. You know, I think it was done really well. I think that, like, John Shepard and Rodney McKay are at their most interesting, and so is Elizabeth. Um, Seriously? Who is, their, who is their boss. Yeah. In this episode, because it asks, like, it actually presents, like, a moral quandary to a lot of what they're doing. So the premise is they are traveling out of this lost city of Atlantis looking at stuff in the Pegasus galaxy, which is the galaxy in which this um, this city lives. And they find this old planet with an old weapons outpost that looks like it was experimental and that it was abandoned or they had tried to get it online in the midst of a war and it didn't work out. But when Rodney starts examining it, he realizes that this is like a magical energy weapon. Like this could be the solution to all of their problems. It could save them from the big major alien threat in the galaxy, which by the way are called the Wraith. And if you have ever wondered what vaginas. Yeah, like if you have ever wondered what like walking catfish with hand vaginas would look like if they could suck the life out of you, that is what they look like. Um they're dumb. <laughs> yep. But so he's scary. Yeah, so he decides that they're gonna like work on this energy project. And it becomes this huge, like episode-long debate where they're like well, you know, maybe we shouldn't fuck with this thing because, like, the ancients abandoned it, you know? Like, what makes you think you're smarter than the ancients? They must have had a reason. And Rodney's response is like, I'm obviously smarter than the ancients. They couldn't figure it out. I will. Just let me try this. And no one wants to do it because it's too dangerous. But what happens is that Rodney convinces John, who is at this point the military commander of Atlantis and his best friend, to go to bat for him. He's like, look, I never ask you for anything, which is a lie. Um, <laughs> but I, I really believe in this, you know, like, and he tells the story about, Oh no, not, not this part yet. He's like, I really think that we look, we should look into this. It's going to be great. Like, come on, you got to go to bat for me on this. So John, you know, because John believes in Rodney is like, okay, you know what? You've got my vote. Let's go. Let's go to this planet. Let's figure this thing out. And in the course of, Working on this project, like multiple, si- like two scientists under Rodney's command die from a horrible malfunction in the system. That's pretty normal for SGA, though. Which is, uh, no, not quite. But it, it dies in like a horrible malfunction in the system. And Elizabeth, who is the diplomat and the non military civilian commander of Atlantis, is like, we need to shut this down. This is too fucking dangerous. You clearly don't know what you're doing. Like, we don't know what we're messing with. Like, I don't think that we should be doing this. At which point, Rodney goes to John and is like, tells him the most heartrending story about the scientists who were working on the Trinity Project and how they gave themselves like nuclear material poisoning and then worked to their dying day. And like, it would be a dishonor to the memory of these scientists who had died in pursuit of this project if they didn't figure out what the fuck was going on. And like, John, trust me, like I've held your life in my hands. I always blah, blah, fucking blah. And like, despite his broken heart and all of his like better angels telling him not to do it, John Shepard goes to Elizabeth and is like, we have to go back. I'll take responsibility for him. No one else has to come. It can just be me and McKay. Uh. It's awful. They go, 
It's a fucking disaster. They barely make it out with their lives. And they realize that it's not that the planet was destroyed in war. The planet was destroyed by the weapon, which was uncontrollable. And they barely get out of there with their lives. And Rodney McKay blows up three-fifths of a solar system. But we don't know that it was inhabited anymore. We don't know what wasn't inhabited. It's the same way that we thought that the... Statistical possibility of another planet having the sign, having like the characteristics to sustain life was so rare that we were calling it like Goldilocks. And now there are three Goldilocks planets that we can see from telescopes, like from Earth. The fact, like the argument that there was no populous life out there during in the three fifths of the solar system, he blows up is complete bullshit. I just figured that they had all died by then. No, I completely don't figure that they had all died by then. But the point is that, like, this became a huge point of contention in the fandom because John is really mad at him. Rodney apologizes. And they actually, this is, like, the only character beat they carried out for more than one episode where, like, John stays mad at him for, like, two or three more episodes. Yeah. Uh, Emily hates this episode so much. <laughs> I hate it. And not just because I don't think that he killed anyone or committed genocide or whatever, but also because... This is like the complete opposite of you. I found that episode incredibly boring. Of course you did. Like, as it aired, I was like, God, this is the worst episode ever. And then afterwards, I was like, well, thank God I can move on to the next one. And then the next one, I was like, geez, why is everyone still mad at Rodney? Get over it. And then the internet had exploded. And, like, I would be reading some fan fiction, and then it would get into trendy shit, and I'd be like, no! Back button, no! No! But see, this is, like, this is one of those moments where the universe is telling you that you're wrong. And like, care. the fact that you're this alone <laughs> and being like, it was no big deal. It's like, it's a sign. Listen, there's a strong trend towards sociopaths in my family. It's fine. You shouldn't be proud of that. Next, you're going to be making beer with people, MK. Like, this is not a good thing. I did make a lot of beer as a child. Of course you did. Was it with people? I don't know. Dad wouldn't let me see the ingredients. It was probably with people. Knowing your father. Definitely with people. The bodies of our enemies. <laughs> obviously obviously note to self don't don't go to lunch with mk's dad while i'm in toronto you won't be able to you're getting in too late good it's quite <laughs> sad i think you would you two would be dangerously good friends i know which is part of the problem yeah he would definitely make me marry you yeah yeah <laughs> anyways you hated trinity i loved trinity and the reason this is this matters at all because it's just an episode is because it had wide ranging consequences. MK is not kidding when she says that you were literally, it was impossible to escape Trinity in the fandom. It's not even like, like, okay, so one people don't mark for it because they're like, well, you know, this story or references like 30 episodes. Why would it matter? That you would be like 75,000 words into something and it would be like, oh, and the rest of the story is about training. And I'd be like, God damn it. (laughs) The first 75K were so good. (sighs) But you know what? They're like, I don't know. The interesting thing about SGA is that there would be maybe like 12 total episodes that are like the key episodes for the entire series. Yes. Fandom wise. Anyway. Yeah. Right? Like, and my favorite episode, like, the good thing is you could find, probably, a com that was just dedicated to, like, here's only our stories that relate to Grace Under Pressure. I mean, I don't know that that exists, but... It should. You should make it, okay? Shut up, I hate you. You should go make a live journal. (laughs) You should make that com. I hate you. Of course you do. Can't it just be a tag on the AO3? 
No, because as we've discussed, that would probably become a Tumblr style tag, and then I would have to like hate everyone. Mm, fuckers. I know. Um, but yeah, it was just it had spawning ramifications, and there were maybe like three or four other episodes that had the same sort of like cataclysmic effect on fandom. Can I also say like there were weird things that happened in SJ fandom? Like, so SJ fandom was uh, pretty strongly affected by events in our actual lives. In like, weird uh, ways. Okay, so obviously Don't Ask, Don't Tell was, like, a huge influence, but it didn't end until after SGA was over. Oh, yeah, so if you go back and read stuff from that fandom, it's so weird now. Yes, it's hella weird, because you're like, why is this an issue? Oh, because it was an actual political reality in the United States. Like, yeah. really weird. Um, but other things, like, when Obama got elected, that was, like, season four of SGA, and there was Obama has to find out about Atlantis or like his daughters go to Atlantis or like there was a series. Are you kidding me? For real. There was a huge selection of just like Obama Stargate Atlantis fan fiction. I clearly missed that boat. Yeah, clearly. You could, you missed that opportunity. That's right. That could have been my magnum opus for SGA fandom. Yeah. Oh God. Uh, Anyways. Yes. Um, um and what else, like, I do have to say, though, I'm not sure how well it ages as a fandom. We'll have to go back and find out. We will. We will have to go back and find out. I mean, but I think that it would require us to, like, actually do a season, well, not even just a season one, but, like, the show highlights rewatch. Yeah, which we won't have time for in just a weekend. Yeah. But we can do a couple of episodes. Yeah, we'll do a couple. Uh, but I have to say, like, that fandom was... You know, for all that that fandom was not great, I was in the process of moving my fanfic over to AO3. Um, I'm almost done. There's just a couple of laggers, like, on the website, and there's probably, like, a ton of fic that I just, like, don't know where it is anymore because it's all, like, random shit that I wrote on my LJ that's going to take me years to compile. But I still have never written as much in a fandom as I did in SGA. I will say that was one of the great joys was once I had actually gotten into SGA, finding your backlog, and the first story I read was Ladies' Night at the Boom Boom Room, <laughs> which took me a while to get through because it's quite the epic about stripping and being a professor's TA and shit. Uh, it's definitely a story where you're like, if you have an embarrassment squick, it, there are parts of it where I've been told you had to read through your fingers. Uh, yeah, no, that's that's me. Because the things that you're like, this isn't that bad, are like things that I would be like, I'm leaving Canada never to return. Like, <laughs> see ya. I mean, like, you, I mean, you know more than most people why. I'm like, that's eh, not so bad, given, like, the text messages I was sending you guys about earlier this week. Yeah. Yeah. Um... I don't think that this week's text messages were that bad compared to, like, some previous ones. My my most famous, I think my most famous moment of, like, workplace, like, good job. Good job, Prue. The post-it list? Yeah. <laughs> was, I worked, I used to work in, like, an open plan office. Um, like, think it was set up like a trading floor. And I made myself a shopping list. And it literally had, like, three things on it. <laughs> and I just forgot about it at the end of the day and left it sitting on my keyboard because I was clearly about to tuck it into my purse or something. <laughs> and I completely failed to. And there were only three items on this fucking shopping list. And it was condoms, light bulbs, 
and like what was it like an eggplant or something yeah like something, something that is like some mm. vegetable and they were the only things on the show i do actually feel bad for whichever nsa agents are spying on me yeah especially yeah. if they're reading our iMessage group chains yeah like that's like a darkness man like that's one of those moments where you're like did you really go to mit for this you shouldn't have done it with your life <laughs> if our group iMessage chats bother lovagus that much just imagine like what's some outsider who has no interest in us yeah yeah trying to yeah. keep abreast of the topics so bad okay Closing thoughts on SGA. Like, um, I think that almost anyone, I, I would say most of the people who are listening to this probably have some experience with it. But in case people don't, what is your elevator pitch for getting them to watch it? It is homoerotically charged dumb ventures in space where anything can happen, including babies in a jar. That is not canon, by the way, guys. Just don't just worry about it. That, I mean, like, in my heart, that happened. Okay, but, like, there's an Amish underground nuclear society that <laughs> yeah. just wants to murder people. Like, yes. that shit happened. That shit was so great. And you know what? We're laughing, but the most terrifying and dangerous adversary that Atlantis faces actually comes from the Amish underground military. Right, and the best part about it is the people who wrote SGA were like, we have this amazing episode that's, like, Indiana Jones-style, like, solving archaeological puzzles to find a treasure in an underground cave, and you're like, yes, I'm enjoying it, yes, and then, like, at the last minute, they're like, P.S., crazy shit happens, and you're like, well, that was weird, and the next episode is like, and now, Amish Underground Nuclear Society of Militaristic <laughs> Crazies. Now I'm gonna end up rewatching season one. Thanks a lot. That's okay. what I'm gonna be doing for the rest of today. I know, this is a tragedy. Okay. That's true. Um, so we decided we would wreck one episode and some fic in addition. We would wreck one episode in addition to fic. Yes. So MK, you first. So my favorite episode of all time, it, I mean, it's hard to choose because I have like five, but the one I'm going to wreck for this episode is called Grace Under Pressure. Oh, I love that episode. And again, it's one of those like we talked about you know, all we wanted from SJ was bottle episodes, and I would say that Grace Under Pressure is one of the best bottle episodes. It's also the ultimate bottle episode. Yeah, like, literally, they are basically inside a bottle. So, the premise of the episode is that uh, Rodney and one dude who's, like, a security officer take a, a small spacecraft called a Puddle Jumper out over the ocean, which is huge, because Atlantis is on a planet of, like, 90% ocean. That is correct. Um, and they're testing it because it's just been repaired. And they're like, we'll just take a quick flight. Of course, uh, the engines fail. It crashes into the ocean, and the security officer locks himself in the front half, like, separating the ship, in order to save Rodney's life. And, uh, drowns to death. Rodney is concussed, alone in the back, which is slowly filling with water at the bottom of, like, one of the deepest oceans ever, um, and has no way of contacting the city, and he starts hallucinating a beautiful scientist and military person, uh, Samantha Carter, who supposedly is there to help him escape, but really she's just trying to get him to, like, wait for John to come rescue him, because obviously John will come rescue him. Yes. And the whole episode, except for, like, a couple times where they go back to the city to show people trying to rescue Rodney, is just in the back of that puddle jumper at the bottom of the ocean, with, like, Rodney and his hallucination. And it's amazing. It is pretty baller. Um, your fanfic? My fanfic. I have three. Uh, the first one is, like, the most self-indulgent of my SGA reading habits of ever. Oh, lord. 
nothing will ever be better for me than this story, which is terrible, but also, like, everyone else agrees with me, except you. Uh, it's the Checkmate Verse by Beat Attitude. That's <laughs> 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 the sound. This is Beat Attitude. This is by no means commentary on you. This is just me laughing because, of course, why would I have thought it was anything other than this? I thought, I thought that you would know immediately. I didn't. It didn't even occur to me, but now that you said it, of course, it makes perfect sense. It was you all along. Checkmate verse, in case you guys are confused, is a series in which John Shepard, they're all on like an alien planet, and the aliens are like, wow, that John Shepard really needs to get in touch with his feelings. (laughs) (laughs) Which he does, but never will. Yeah. So in this story, they uh, turn him into a cat. Yeah, okay, and then what? For an unspecified length of time. And uh, he basically lives as a cat for like six months while hanging out with Rodney. And even though he's a cat, they kind of fall in love, but nothing happens until he's human again, don't worry. Uh, they should be, because you're a furry. Shut up. Would love nothing better than for Rodney and John to yiff away. I hate hate you so much. The long cat hours, meowing their passions. So much. The point is, it's a really, it's a delight of a story. (laughs) And... (laughs) It's so stupid, and it's so great. Like, that is the best compliment I can give this story. Like, seriously, it's that series of stories where John is a cat. Um, My next story is one that, like, I looked at it, and I was like, that looks terrible. And then I read it, and it turned out to be one of my favorite stories in SGA fandom, which is an SGA Murder, She Wrote crossover. And I, I, like, we got asked about crossovers the other week, and we were like, no. And then I remembered this, and I was like, yes. Uh, so if you've ever watched Murder, She Wrote, you know that Jessica Fletcher has one kajillion nieces and nephews, most of whom are not actually related to her. And in this story, John and Rodney are at a military function on Earth, um, where they have to pretend that they're part of that, like, deep space telemetry project that is the Stargate's cover program. Um, and while they're at this dinner, they run into Jessica Fletcher, Rodney's aunt, uh, and, like, famous mystery novelist, who John is secretly a huge fan of. Um, and... (laughs) She basically, like, Jessica Fletcher's the shit out of them, which is amazing, and at the same time already knows about the Stargate project, and it's just, like, watching while they try to not talk about Stargate shit. I think there's actually, like, three of these in a row, but they're excellent. I highly recommend it, even if you don't like Murder Short. Like, it's just brilliant. <laughs> I know, I sound like I have, like, the worst, but, like, I swear these are good. <laughs> Like, this is not just us being wretched. Like, uh, this is a frequent thing you run into with SGA fandom. Where you're like, that sounds awful. Where you have to, like, stop in the middle of recommending something and be like, I promise it's actually good. I I promise it's really good. Yeah. Yeah. And the last one is called Residual Heat and Heat Source by Blue Knight 361, which is, like, a story that, again, I didn't want to read because I never read character death, and it was tagged character death, but I promise you he's not dead. Um, and the promise of the story is that while on an away mission, Rodney dies, um, and John has to go back to Atlantis, and he has to clean out Rodney's quarters and, like, bundle up all of his belongings and probably send a bunch back to Earth. And there's this, like, totally ordinary-looking filing cabinet that he can't open, um, and when he finally, like, tries to force it, a recording of Rodney's voice comes out and basically says that uh, this is, like, a failsafe in case of his 
supposed death because he doesn't believe that like knowing the shit that happens on Atlantis if you think Rodney's dead he's probably not dead uh and it has three or four drawers and one drawer will open every set period of time which is like a month or something uh with like extra things to hopefully help them find him and also extra things to just help the expedition and the first half of the story is just John like being heartbroken and reading all of this like terrible depressing stuff that comes out of Rodney's filing cabinet and the second half is them finding Rodney again, and, like, he's alive, and they get together, and it's beautiful. <laughs> I don't think that's really a spoiler. Like, really, where did you think that was going? Well, the spoiler was the fact that he wasn't dead. Like, this is why I don't tag anything. Um, <clears throat> and I'm really, like, come on. Like, I'm going to wreck a story where Rodney's actually dead. No, 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 no. But in the context of you wrecking something, that makes perfect sense. But I'm sitting here, like, thinking, like, there are occasionally times where I write stories that have, like, a twist. And nothing makes me crazier than when I go on Pinboard and I see that someone has tagged it, like... With the twist? Yeah. They, like, write the whole summary. Like, they don't use the summary or create an actual summary. They just, like, write what happens in the story. And, like, a little piece of my soul dies when I see that. Okay, but here's the thing. I believe that she wrote the first half, which was supposed to be a standalone story where Rodney is dead. And then the longer she thought about it or she got a bunch of, like, crazy mail from readers or whatever, both are equally plausible. She was like, yeah, I'll write a sequel where it turns out that he's alive. And she tells you, like, at the top, oh, you wanted Rodney to be alive? He's alive. Here it is. Yeah, it doesn't matter. Anyways, give us your episode in Rex before we murder each other. Oh, well, no. I mean, I don't think, I feel like if we're ever going to come to blows, it's going to be over, I don't even know what fandom. Well, we're probably not in that fandom yet. It's true. We'll find out eventually. We I don't have to get back that. in, like, the same fandom for us to murder each other. That would be sad, though. Then who would do this project? Uh, all the people who are submitting wonderful hiatus episodes. Okay, that's true. It'll be fine. Um, so my episode recommendation is actually a two-parter. Uh, it's called The Storm in the Eye, which are probably two of my favorite episodes of the entire series. And it's very early on in the series, but it's... A bot. It's as MK and I have said. It's a bottle episode, and it actually examines it examines sort of like a darker view on John Shepard as a military commander of Atlantis. Because up until we see the storm in the eye, he's a very laid back person. He'll get intense if he has to, but he's very like blah in many ways. He's really blah, he really and the does. dangers that you face in the Pegasus Galaxy seem really sort of. Uh, it's hard to say. They feel very abstract, right? They seem sort of almost goofy. Like when we discuss, when we talk about the Wraith, you know, they're frightening, but at the same time, you're like, you, it's, they're too spacey for you to actually get a grip on them. The Storm in the Eye is a fabulous pair of episodes because basically the city of Atlantis is very low on power because when they find it, it's running on like residual power and like backup generators and stuff like that because they lack the actual fuel system that is meant to power the city. And they're looking at the fact that there's like a once in a million year storm that's going to hit the city. And it's probably going to shatter the whole place into pieces unless they can get the shield operating. So they're planning on evacuating the city. And one of their enemies, hilariously, from the underground Amish military group <laughs> that we mentioned, hears tell of this and infiltrates the city in an effort to take it over while the city is mostly unmanned. And it is a story about John systematically murdering his way through this strike force. Um, and Rodney being so in tune with him and so smart 
and the two of them having to basically save Atlantis from literally being destroyed by a hundred year storm while Elizabeth, who is their boss, talks as fast as she possibly can to buy them more time to do this. It's the first really suspenseful, sort of like dark, really interesting turn that the show took. And it's it's like, I still love those episodes so much. Also known as that episode where John killed every dude. Yeah, he seriously kills 55 people with a Stargate in that episode. It's pretty baller. On top of all the other dudes he killed, like with his bare hands. Like there's just like, if you didn't notice it in the episode, I... I can't even imagine what episode you were watching. Yeah. The whole episode is him just brutally murdering, and you're like, I thought that you just liked skateboarding and golf. Yeah, and he does. But that's because, like, if you hit his, like, non-interested in skateboarding and golf switch, apparently he turns into, like, a, like a serial killer. Which made, like, like, a spree killer, like... So many amazing pieces of fan fiction came out of, like, the, like, John is a serial killer, or, like... Yeah. Oh... Yeah, well, you, know, he, you know, he could pull it off. He can. Um, so those are my, that's my episode recommendations. I have three uh, fanfic re- recommendations, and I'll start with the one that will make MK the craziest. Great. <laughs> this is a story called Something Else, written by Hetra Z. It is, although I give her crap because I enjoyed Trinity, and I enjoyed Trinity fic for the most part, there was a really weird sort of, do you remember this, MK? The weird backlash post-Trinity where everyone was like, everyone is being too hard on Rodney. <laughs> those were also, like, just as bad. Like, they I hated were reading so those too. so wretched. Like, the ones that were basically um, indicting him in sort of, like, ridiculous over-the-top ways were bad. And the ones where they were like, no, everyone is terrible. None of you will realize how much you love him until, like, this moment was or equally terrible. There was um, no reaction to Trinity that I enjoyed. Except for this. Um, which I don't know whether or not you've even read it, but it's it's probably one of my favorite SGA stories of all time. It's a very spare, beautiful, lyrically written story, um, and it's about Rodney post-Trinity. And it shows his sort of, he's not willing to let himself feel guilty about it in any sort of, you know, surface level, because if he does, he has to kind of admit the enormity of what he may have done and the enormity of what losing John's friendship and respect means to him. So you get to see all of these little emotional twists and changes, like in the doing of the thing. It's like a lovely, very, very like, um, I, I, I've already used this word, but it's very meditative and it's like, it's beautifully written. Hetrazy is extremely talented. It's my favorite of the Trinity stories. It's one of my favorite SGA stories. Um, my second recommendation is for all the people who are not into McKay Shepard or <laughs> um, <laughs> that happens. That happens. I mean, I, I like went through a huge phase. I really like Parrish Lauren. I never understood that, but you know, that made no difference when it came to SGA, honestly. I'm recommending every single Stargate Atlantis story by (laughs) LTLJ. Every single one of them. She is an uncommonly gifted writer, and she has a very uncommon role in that fandom where she wrote epic, well-thought-out, incredibly plotty, very interesting science fiction stories. And she also wrote marvelous, like, team adventure stories. And they are either Jen or they are slash not McKay Shepard. And they're so good. They are so good. <laughs> it has been years since I've been active or actively reading an SGA fandom. I will still go back and reread Hunting Parties because I have like real strong feelings about that story. So good. Highly recommend them. Um, and even if 
you don't necessarily think that you would get sucked into a story without um without the draw of having like mckay shepherd as a slash pairing like give them a shot it's so good she's such a good writer i just i'm gonna use the word good until it doesn't even sound like a real word anymore good and my last recommendation is purely for M's joy is a story called sugar by yin again <laughs> do you remember this story yes this is one of the greatest SGA stories ever, and it is a classic example of what made SGA as a fan of great. <laughs> it is a story that is an alternate universe. It's very short. It's not a complex alternate universe. They're just not in Atlantis, where, for whatever reason, Rodney convinces himself that he is now a sugar daddy and that John Shepard is his kept man because of a series of jokes that his friends who set him up with John make about the relationship. And he just like carries on with this assumption for a really long time. <laughs> he realizes that one day he walks home and like John is getting FedEx packages of like blueprints and shit like that. And he's like, what are you doing? And John's like, Oh, it's for contracting work. And McKay's like, you have a job. <laughs> We're not actually being kept. <laughs> just, the idea that, like, Rodney was dating someone for so long and didn't know that he had a job. is <laughs> just, it makes perfect sense it's for that character, so believable. <laughs> you know what? So many things that Yin again wrote were just, like, like I was just crying laughing on a regular basis. <laughs> so she also wrote, uh, did you ever read her, like, Girl Rodney AU? No. She wrote this, like, actually really kind of interesting AU in which uh, Rodney, girl Rodney, like Meredith McKay, is a scientist working at Area 51. Mm -hmm. She's, like, in charge of her own lab, and uh, John Shepard is the new security officer, and she just thinks he's, like, an asshole. Well, you know. Yeah. But it's great. (laughs) They get married. I just remember reading that and just, like, quietly pissing myself laughing the entire time. Yeah, no. you should have the same experience, because it is a joy. We could literally do an episode of just wrecking SGA stories, which is basically why we have to stop now. Yes. Uh, But those were my three. Cool. I think those are solid. I think so, too. And you know what the really funny thing about this is? Even though we're both so far out of this fandom, I bet you a million dollars that as soon as we end this episode... <laughs> we're I'm gonna both pull either going to go watch episodes or read fanfic. Or both. Yeah. That is the danger of SGA as a fandom. And if you just, like, want to dip your toes in, be wary. There's no way to just dip your toes in. Yeah, there really isn't. It's... You know what? Most fandoms are, like, lakes. Some of them are great lakes. SJ is all of the oceans. Yeah. All of them. Yeah. Including the Mariana Trench. Like, you can always go deeper. <laughs> this is terrible. We have to end this. We have to end this. <laughs> all right. All right, guys. Uh, thanks for tuning in. We're sorry about everything. So Even though things. you're not going to hear the worst of it, because assuredly MK will cut that entire last five minutes out. Yeah. Uh, we will catch you on the flip side. If you miss us during the week, you can follow us on Twitter at Slash Report. Uh, or you can follow me and MK individually at either Often Imprudent or Moon Clutz. Yep. Um, and both of us are on Tumblr as well. I'm at Rage Proof Rock, and she is at M Klutz. And don't forget, you can send us your hiatus episode submissions over email. And we have like a full contact page on our website now. So yeah. And just to be clear, since I'm sure some of you will send those in without reading them, uh, the email address is slash report at gmail.com. Um, requirements for the hiatus episode, maximum of two hours long, minimum of two participants on the episode, 
maximum length of your episode pitch to us is 400 words. You do not need to format this as if you are making a formal pitch proposal for a television station. However, the formality is appreciated if you feel so inclined. Yeah, you really could just send us an email that's like, yo, I want to talk about, I don't know, Meg Cabot for two hours with my two exactly. And we'd be like, cool. This message brought to you by the fact that all of the pitches we've gotten so far are adorable and have been really oddly formal. <laughs> it's us. Relax. It's cool. I know. Come on, guys. <laughs> Chill the fuck out. I once left a grocery list that had condoms, light bulbs, and an eggplant on it on my <laughs> Just word side up on my keyboard. As you do. As you do. Um, that's actually it. We're ending this episode now. Go watch some SGA. Bye. Bye. Are you kidding me? Marshmallow? I'm calling you that from now on. Calling me Marshmallow from now on? Good. Let's not pretend you have dignity and standards and shit because I watched you go down every fucking rabbit hole possible. What to work then? Oh, it's Trinity. Oh, you asshole. I don't know what you've done, dumbass. What have you done? Like, I faxed him a list that was like, extra, extra large tampons, extra, extra large pads, like, (laughs) vibrating cock ring, lube ribbed condoms, 42 cucumbers.